Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 55. Today we're talking about 0.98, a new Docker base, and venturing to South Africa with Cliff. As usual, we've got Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, how's it going? And as I mentioned earlier, we've got Cliff. How's it going, Cliff? Hey, Rod. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Clouds by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. So this is our first guest from the the continent of Africa. Would you believe that? We are, what, 55 episodes in? and Yeah. First time we're going to a, a new continent for once. I think that leaves only Asia left, maybe. Then we'll have global world domination. That's right. That's right. One one continent at a time. That's it. <laughs> but congratulations on being the first uh, first person from Africa to to join the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. No, definitely. So we've got some uh, alerts for Home Assistant. So what what I mean by that is there's a new page on the Home Assistant site, which will help you uh, know when a device or a service has in- introduced a breaking change. So what that means is, so for example, let's say Google Home releases an update that needs an update to Home Assistant, that'll be posted on this site. So right now, it just tracks kind of affected Home Assistant version and the integration that's broken. But uh, down the road, they plan to notify users of any errors that they may get and kind of how to fix them. So if you're running like an older version and let's say an API gets changed, then uh, the UI could load a card in your system that says, hey, you know what, you really need should upgrade to this version uh, because their API is broken and uh, the service will start working again. So it's a little more proactive uh, in that sense, I think. And that sounds actually really interesting. So that way, hopefully it's a little more, I'm assuming if it's in the Home Assistant UI, hopefully it's tailored to you and to kind of the components you're using. That'll be kind of neat there. Yeah, that's really cool. I think it's a, a really good, feature especially when we're trying to debug issues you know something breaks down the line and you know all of a sudden everyone starts reporting this issue and it starts flooding all the support tickets everyone opens an issue i think if yeah once it's been declared an issue then everyone can sort of go okay they know it's a problem and there's you know it's a known issue i don't have to go and open up a a bug request and and put that in and make more noise yeah exactly like a lot of times you'll see certificates expire or or something like that right and and whatever that is hopefully that's just a Hey, click here and you can upgrade and your problem will be fixed. Yeah. 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 I think it's a really great idea. And and I think we've all kind of, as we've configured our systems, gone through, oh, why it's breaking now. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Versus uh, just surfing the GitHub page, it's kind of nice to know if you could go to one page and just kind of take a look before you, before you just flood the GitHub page with a whole bunch of stuff. Well, exactly. Right. Otherwise, you'll have 14 forum entries, a Discord, yeah. basically like a whole conversation dedicated to it. And exactly. then, uh, you know, just that kind of thing, right? So saves a lot of issues. Plus, it's reassuring to know that it's a problem that's not your fault. Like whenever I've come yeah. across something that's broken, I'm like, what did I forget to do before I go? And then you've got to go doing a million checks mm. before you actually go and submit that yeah. issue. So knowing, you know, giving other people a bit of confidence to go, hang on, it's not you. It, we know it's a problem. That's yeah. Good yeah. idea as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So. You got a confidence factor, right? <laughs> Boost your ego. <laughs> That's it. Um, so we'll post a link to that, but uh, just verbally, it's alerts.home-assistant.io. 
All right, a uh, big change for Docker users uh, in this release. So moving forward from 0.98, there is a new base Docker image for Home Assistant, which is based on uh, Alpine Linux instead of uh, the old Debian. If you're using Docker, which Rohan, you and I will be affected by this, uh, yep. this isn't for Hassle.io, so it's just people that manually install uh, Home Assistant through their own Docker container. Uh, you'll notice, I definitely noticed when I installed the beta, there was a whole bunch of new layers being downloaded. Uh, mm. So, yeah, it's all on Alpine Linux now instead of Debian. You shouldn't have any breaking changes from this. It's, you know, it should be business as usual. It will just mean that, uh, you know, Hassle.io, Home Assistant, and all the other Docker flavors are going to be more in line amongst each other. And I think Frank and Pascal have been putting a lot of work in this release, getting things, you know, aligned and, and as small as possible. The only potential downside is if you are creating your own custom Docker image based on the Home Assistant base image and you need to install any custom Debian packages, you will need to uh, update your Docker file. There's going to be a new base image, which will be in the Home Assistant Docker Hub repo, which you'll need to use. And you may need to just continue to use that moving forward. But otherwise, it's business as usual with hopefully a, a lot more of a consistent base image for Home Assistant. Yeah, just a word of warning as well. If it's uh, if you're on metered data usage or anything like that, you might want to be careful. So uh, if your service provider says, hey, you only get five gigs of data uh, a month or whatever that is, uh, just again, be aware that the Home Assistant uh, Home Assistant download can be large. So well, hopefully with this release, it'll be much smaller than what it yeah. used to be though. Alpine Alpine is pretty efficient, but just just in terms of code itself, mm. right? You just want to be mm. be aware of that, especially so. yeah, because there's all those new layers this time as well. Yeah, exactly. If you were doing a simple upgrade, most of them would be cached, but uh, this time they're going to be all brand new. Yeah, um, they're actually using yes. manifests now as well. So depending on if you're running it on a Raspberry Pi or a, a Windows based system, just doing a simple Docker pull, it will know which version to pull down for your system. So that's a good move as well. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think that's, uh, it's nice that they're using Alpine as well. It's pretty, uh, pretty slim in terms of, uh, yeah, what it, what it has, right? So, which is, which is nice. So on to 0.98. All right. So we're going to start off with, uh, talking about web scraping a little bit. So web scraping integrations are now deprecated, uh, within Home Assistant. So what that means is Home Assistant essentially will be removing uh, certain components that rely on actual web scraping. Um, and if you're not familiar with what web scraping is, think of your laptop or your, your computer going in and clicking through a bunch of pages to get a result. And then we're looking at that result and saying, okay, you know, person's name is Rohan based on your login and blah, blah, blah. So same way, there are some integrations that will actually go log into a website on your behalf and then pull some data from that website, uh, from physically what's displayed on the website. So that's kind of the concept of web scraping there. So what happens is uh, a lot of times when integrations don't offer an API, which is a nice programmatical way of doing things, what ends up happening is people say, okay, you know what, can I web scrape this and pull it from there? These things can break pretty easily when, uh, if let's say as a web developer, I change the design of my website or something like that. So then that means the integration needs to be fixed or rewritten uh, to accommodate that new website. So it causes a lot of inconsistencies and stuff like that. So, and then, and they've also uh, some people, uh, some vendors like uh, the U S postal service 
has banned has banned IPs for users that actually start to do this kind of uh, integration, mm. where you go in and and because from their side it also consumes a lot of bandwidth because it's a very inefficient way of doing this. So as of zero uh, dot one hundred, uh, which comes out in about six weeks, uh, Home Assistant will be removing uh, the components from those uh, from, from from that release. So it's also it's also less kind of moving parts from what Home Assistant requires. So you know, hopefully Home Assistant becomes a little more efficient. Yeah, because I think a few integrations use things. Uh, there's one uh, integration that uses you know like a Python scraping library. Yeah. Another one uses a Node version of the scraping library. So you know, needing to reduce those will make the overall installation of Home Assistant much more uh, efficient as well. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and, and I think again, web scraping is sometimes it's great because, Hey, I just need something up and running and here you go. And it works. But it is, like I said, if you change a website, it's, it can break, right? So that's uh, something you typically don't want. Yeah, and you find with those things, it, it, it might be great that it works now, but when it breaks sometime down the future, it's much more frustrating than, than when it happens to work now. So you probably want a cleaner API-based integration going forward and than, than relying on this. I know I've, I've done a fair amount of this in the past, and yeah, it, it tends to work for a very short period of time. So I think... You know, the frustration of not having it is probably worth it versus it only working for a very short period of time. Well, exactly, right? So um, it just means, I think I think it also means that reliability of the system as a whole will kind of go up because it's, it, exactly. it's less stuff breaking, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think as, as, home assist, as home assistance becomes more mature, probably looking for a little bit more stability in, 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 in it going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's, there's a few packages that I think that we've identified that will probably get removed. Um, so that's the U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, UPS, um, SRP Energy, and actually Linksys Access Points, believe it or not. So um, from from this perspective, uh, those are kind of what we've identified as might get removed. And and the scrape integration, which will actually let you go define a URL and then uh, pull pull whatever information from there, that'll actually still remain. So if we need to, then that might be a way of... Uh, of automating these. Right. I'm wondering if a lot of these, you know, like the FedEx and the UPS sensors that are going to be removed in 0100, if they'll make their way over to the community add-ons, like as a custom component, I think that would be a good place yeah, but, for them if, if it's still available. Exactly. And and I think at that point, you typically want to be a little more advanced as well. So you know what can break, right? Uh, and there can be a lot of warnings mm. and this and that. Um, I think I think from a core software perspective, it's... Sh- it should be stable. Home Assistant has to be stable, and uh, mm. and and I think I think this is a step in the right direction towards that. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. All right. Um, some other new features in this release, and the, uh, some big overhauls have been done to uh, entity management. So it's now possible to disable entities within Home Assistant. So if you've ever had a component which discovers entities in your home which you don't want, uh, you can now disable them. I know the, this has been a real pain point for me with like auto discovery. Yeah. Um, you know, I've mm-hmm. got you know, don't necessarily want you no know, Sonos devices to come in all the time. You know, maybe I don't want a speaker exposed, and because it's auto discovered, it keeps coming back. So from within Home Assistant now, you can actually choose which device you want disabled, and Home Assistant will just ignore it. Uh, additionally, you can now also tell an integration such as device trackers not to add any new entities to Home Assistant. So uh, if, for example, you have a uh, Wi-Fi 
device tracker enabled and you install a new phone or someone joins your network, Home Assistant won't automatically add a device tracker to Home Assistant to start tracking that new device on your network. So those are two really good uh, features for entity management. So good to see yeah, that's, that coming along. That's nicely. very cool. Actually, both of those things have been annoying me. So that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we all suffer for that one. That's right. Well, it, it's it's funny because it's uh, I, I I mentioned in the last episode I kind of got uh, uh, my my Raspberry Pi back up and running and and I'm using that for a Zigbee radio. Mm. And uh, one of the things I realized too, because the Raspberry Pi is still on the on the network, it's discovering all the stuff. So in Docker, Docker actually has issues just because the way Docker itself is architected, um, it sometimes has issues with discovery. So with this now, it's just, you know, now it's finding all these things that I e- either manually set in, in mm-hmm. my main assi- uh, home assistant instance with, uh, which is in Docker or, or, or I just, I want to ignore anyway. So now as I've got all these things, there's always like, Hey, we found this. It's like, that's great. I don't want it. And it comes back and yeah. So that's definitely nice to have. Yeah. Integrations now can uh, give you the option to set specific options from the UI itself. So things like decons and unify integrations, you don't necessarily need to go into the YAML to go add specific options. You can do it right from the UI. So that's uh, that's uh, pretty handy. So if you're trying to get away from using YAML and trying to go more just straight from the UI, that's uh, it's definitely for you. Yeah, I think only those two components are supported from now. But yeah. Yeah, I think moving forward, once everything starts going over, like just being able to go into the UI and clicking checkboxes to enable this feature, enable that, that'll be awesome. Yeah, and and I think I think that's slightly reliant on the integration developer as well. Um, I th- mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that they would have to actually pull that uh, that in. Yeah, but you can see how how things are, are progressing so nicely, right? I mean, I, yep. I I look at my my love my love life's editing these days, and I'm. You know, I'm never in the YAML. The the the, yeah. the editor is more than sufficient to do really good stuff. So, if you if you've been working with it for a, for a couple of years now, you can see how it's very quickly moving to mm. you know, a user user based front end based configuration. Absolutely. But so it's good yeah, to see. Yeah, I agree completely. All right. Uh, if you are the owner of a Ring camera that contains either a siren or a light. Uh, they're now supported in Home Assistant, so there will be switches exposed. So if you're uh, ring camera has a siren attached there'll be a switch for it when you flick that switch on the siren will sound on the particular camera and also if your camera has a light or maybe you're using one of those ring garden spotlights and it is exposed via the ring api you can now uh, turn those lights on and on so that's a good little addition for yeah, ring users and your children may have a great time playing with those sirens so <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a, if you're using the group all switches, uh, you might want to be careful if you actually use that to turn oh, yeah. things on because you will turn yeah. those sirens That's on. That's a point. Yeah. great point. You're, uh, yeah, I'm sure your neighbors may not appreciate that if you're, if you're in within, within close proximity. <laughs> so Also, uh, the GeoNet New Zealand Quakes feed is now integrated. So uh, any quakes that have happened in New Zealand region in the last seven days this uh this integration can actually go in and retrieve uh incidents for, uh based based on this feed and kind of show hey here's what's happened and uh kind of you can fill it'll, apparently it'll filter it by distance as well to wherever location you have set in home assistant which is kind of neat mm, i really want to know how people are using these especially like what uh, what how is your home reacting to an event that's happened 7 days ago 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, an earthquake uh, can trigger, you know, tsunamis and stuff. But I wonder if there's any, you know, if anyone's doing any cool automations based on, you know, if an event's happened, you know, how does your house react? I'd I'd really like to to hear anyone that's running. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting because I was kind of wondering that myself. So, um, like, what what do you do with the data post it happening? Or or is it just like, hey, you don't have to Google it and the information's here now. So, uh, which... You can just look. Yeah, which which I think is kind of mm. neat as well. Um, but yeah, I suppose there's the there's a chance of aftershocks sometimes as well that uh, people might. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's true. also true. Mm. But yeah, with from a seven day kind of lookup, I'm not sure what uh, kind of stuff yeah. you'll get. But or maybe you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of data it's providing inbound. So maybe people like to graph it or do something like that. I'm not sure. Ah, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So I, I, again, depending, I guess, on the type of data it provides, I'm not I'm not exactly familiar with that one. So. And uh, Lutron uses the Lutron RA2 occupancy sensor is now supported in Home Assistant. So if you want to you add another device tracker to get some better information on who's home or not, that's now available. Perfect. Some breaking changes. So there are a couple of things uh, this week that are breaking. So unique identifiers are being fixed on some Zigbee devices for uh, using if you're using the ZHA component. So there was a bit of a stability issue um, in terms of the unique id on the cluster channels so if basically a node got a new network address uh then that unique identifier would change so now what we do is instead of using what we used to use before we're actually using the ieee address instead of the network address um, to uniquely identify the Mm -hmm. device so that way that never changes otherwise you would you you might have to re-add that to automations things like that so if you opted to use your unique ID in any events or any automations like that, you need to uh, you need to update those. Just off the well, while we're talking about the ZHA, how's your your Zigbee network going, Rahan? You got a, a combi and yeah, yeah. So far, so good. Uh, I mean, it's been running for I don't know how long now, three weeks, something like that. Yeah, about that. Yeah, um, three or four weeks, and and so far, so good. I know there have been some people. Uh, with ZHA that complained about stability issues or any of that. Uh, I mean, knocking on wood, I haven't really hit any of those kind of issues. And yeah, I've got a couple of devices left to add that I just haven't added yet. Uh, like my door opens, closed sensors and stuff. That stuff's still on smart things. I just need to reset it. Yep. Uh, but but outside of that, uh, I mean, it's been good. I think one point I had to, like this is when I first started, uh, I'm not sure what happened, but it just stopped seeing the devices. And then I just had, I just rebooted once or maybe twice and then came back which is a little bit annoying but uh but i I haven't had that issue since so it's been it's been fairly stable i think not a not a ton of issues uh here and and i'm actually using a custom component to uh pull all of those events and state and all that stuff over and it works amazing oh yeah so it's uh i opted to i was typically and, and i mean you and i phil were talking about this and i was i was looking at using mqtt and saying Hey, you know, do I use MQTT to use a state sync essentially, right? Hey, there's motion, great, it triggers. Yeah, yeah. And then that sends it to MQTT where my main instance picks it up, uh, which is how most people do it today. Mm. Um, there's actually a, I'm not sure if it's abandoned or what, but there's, there's a custom component, uh, project that somebody was working on, uh, where, where basically it leverages the API and, and my, my, my conversation with you, Phil, is I was kind of looking for exactly that, which is we've, Home Assistant's got a great API, so why can't I utilize this API to pull in pull in the state and all that stuff real time? 
So I'm not sure exactly what's going on under the covers. I'm assuming it's webhooks uh, of some kind that where we're pulling information to essentially stream it to from one instance to the other. Uh, but yeah, so one home assistant instance to your other home assistant instance. Yeah, correct? exactly. Like exactly. one's running. Yeah. And and it's running beautifully. Um, my I actually find it faster because right now uh, my SmartThings is uh, still using the old school uh, MQTT uh, for synchronization just because the native integration actually, um, just because the way mm-hmm. my network is set up, I had issues with communicating, with having it communicate inbound. So, uh, so I opted to stick with the old, very kind of legacy, uh, smarter, smart things integration is what it was called, which is basically smart things pushes to MQTT and MQTT pushes to home assistant and then vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, uh, this, I find actually works quite a bit faster. So when there's motion detected, uh, pretty much when that instance sees motion, uh, when 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 the when my Raspberry Pi, which has my uh, Zigbee stick in it, when that detects motion, it basically almost instantly uh, my main instance has it detected. So uh, I'm extremely happy with it, at least so far. Again, knock on wood that uh, <laughs> it doesn't break right after I finish saying this, which is usually what happens when I say, "Hey, I've had great luck with stuff," uh, <laughs> and uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. But uh, no, again, it's been it's been great. So I'm I'm actually very satisfied. And, and once again, I said this last episode, but thanks for everyone who kind of uh, guided me through the uh, Zigbee radios and kind of what I should do and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, back, we better get back to the breaking changes after we've had that little detour. That's right. <laughs> uh, the, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the updater component has been changed to a binary sensor. So now uh, if you're doing any automations to find out when the latest version of Home Assistant has been released, the updater.updater entity no longer exists and you'll have to use the binary sensor and it will always be either on or off, on meaning that there is a new update available. So I I suspect this is going to affect quite a few people, but uh, if you use Kodi, so Kodi services have now moved from media player to Kodi. So what that means is in the past, it'd be something like media player dot Cody add to playlist. Now it's kind of just, it's just Cody add to playlist. Um, and then same way Cody call to method is now Cody dot call method. And so the reason behind this, I suspect is again, from a more standardization perspective, because typically your media component isn't necessarily tied to a specific component, the service that you call from it. So that's, I, uh, I suspect it's just that from a service perspective, you want to keep it pretty standard. Yeah, right? so. We've seen this a lot. I think uh, Plex mm-hmm. and Sonos have, had, have done the same thing in recent versions as well. You know, they've been moving across yeah. their own domains. So yeah, this makes sense, I think. Yeah, totally. The Sonos uh, devices have now been updated with their play media service calls. So previously, uh, if you were trying to play a Sonos uh playlist you weren't able to do it with a simple call to play media you can now specify uh, in the media type you can specify playlist and give it a sonos playlist id and it will start playing uh, as part of this update as well and it's this is why it's a, a breaking change if you decide to send uh, something for example a media type of tv or media type of video to a Sonos device, which can only support music, that service call will now fail and will be rejected because, you know, we're now validating what type of media you can send to the Sonos devices. So I think it's really cool to see that uh, playlist support is being added to Sonos. I think uh, a couple of releases ago, there's a Spotify playlist uh, support was added. Uh, So it's, yeah, cool to see, you know, more 
support being added for, for Sonos? So the Google Home component has been removed. Um, so what that means is Google Home devices basically a while ago received an update, which prevents it from being used as device trackers. So I think we actually talked about this in a, a while ago in a, uh, in a few episodes, uh, pre- I guess a bunch of episodes before, mm. where, uh, where you're able to use your Google Homes as device trackers. So they actually have a little monitor in there that basically says, hey, what BLE devices are walking by me, so on and so forth. So based yeah, on that, yeah. it'll take the MAC address and, and, and it was actually accessible. So uh, Google shut that down. Uh, I'm not sure if there was like a privacy thing or or something like that where why they did it, but uh, they basically no longer uh, allow you to do that. So if you're looking for a replacement way, there's quite a few a few different methods. Um, check out Monitor from Andrew Freyer. Uh, we'll leave the links in the in the show notes and uh, check that out. Yeah. And that uh, that monitor one's actually really cool for room-based presence as well, if you want to go to that level. So highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty neat. I think the, my problem with presence is, so between myself and uh, my girlfriend, both of us have iOS devices, which uh, if you're familiar with how they do presence, so just because what happens is, believe it or not, there's a lot of... Uh, lot of organizations and like retail stores, things like that, that try and track tra- tra- their customers. How are you yeah. walking? Where are you going through the store? Um, mm. who, like, who are you for better or for worse? They don't care about, hey, this is Rohan or this is Phil. They care about, hey, this is this device. And then based on this device, you're doing so on and so forth. So a while ago, uh, Apple took the uh, mm. proactive approach of saying, hey, we want to protect our users' privacy. And the way of doing that is by randomizing that MAC address that basically gets beaconed out. Mm. So, <laughs> which is great from a privacy perspective. Now for Home Assistant, <laughs> what that not basically so translates to, yeah. So, so I'm not sure mm. how how if there's any good ways to get around this or or what there is. But if if anybody's figured that out, um, let us know because I'm I'm personally curious because I have looked into doing room presence before and I kind of went. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to deal with it. It's not worth the effort right now to deal mm. with, hey, I've got all these, my, my phone randomizing MAC addresses, things like that, and saying, okay, well, great. Now this is device one, device two, device three, and I have 6,000 different devices uh, that were found in, in Home Assistant, right? None of them actually mapping to me. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it, though, is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Mm-hmm. Is there an ability in the settings to turn that off? Do you know? You know what? I, I'm I'm assuming there's some something somewhere where somebody's figured it out because I know people are doing this um, and maybe it's only Android users that are doing this. I'm still looking for a good way uh, as an iOS user um, natively from my phone to be able to do it. 
Mm. Uh, because I know there are people that carry Bluetooth dongles with them and stuff. And it's like, I carry an RFID card at work. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm at work at home where I'm yeah. carrying around a, yeah. like a little card or a BLE beacon mm. in my pocket or something like that. I always have my phone, which is a BLE device. So I'd love to use that if I can, if anybody's got any tips, uh, just hit us up at, uh, feedback at haspodcast.io. Let us know. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that that, that room presence is always tricky. There, there are some smartwatches that 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 broadcast BTLE that I see some guys are using to to track yeah. presence where it's not an, an another device that you carry. Yeah, like a Xiaomi fitness band or something. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of those as well. Exactly. Yeah. My problem is I don't like I I, I wear watches yeah. whenever I'm out all the time, and if I if I don't, I actually feel weird. A lot of times my my time on my watch is wrong. And I've had like I've had my I've had yeah. my like managers come up to me and be like, yeah. "Man, what time zone is your watch in?" It's like, uh, it's not. It's just, it's just I, it's in, like an automatic watch, and I just never set it for like the last year, right? And and I, it, you know you know what? It's yeah, not, it's not even for accessory. Exactly. I don't do it for fashion. It but I don't. This doesn't bother me when I'm home, but when I'm out, I actually feel like something's missing, and like it's 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 because I'm so used to wearing it, so it's like yeah. Yeah. I don't have that weight yeah. on my on my hand, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like almost like a, a safety blanket for you. Yeah, I, I I know it's 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 such a weird kind of thing, but it's it's so. But but at home, I never wear these kind of watches, right? And and I know I'm not the only one that's like that, right? Like I'm exactly the same. When I'm home, I want to be like, okay, I'm in a t-shirt, I'm in comfy pants, I'm not wearing accessories, <laughs> whatever. And and yeah, so yeah. Um, but and and maybe all the problems I'm talking about on iOS have been resolved, and and I just. I haven't bothered to Google it. That's <laughs> entirely possible. Yeah, if whoever's got this figured out, let me know. All right. Uh, if you're using uh, Z-Wave, there is a service called update underscore config, which you'd think would go ahead and, you know, poll all your devices and, and update your Z-Wave configuration file. Unfortunately, that has uh, not worked for quite some time. There's a, a bug in the underlying library that Home Assistant uses, which is a fork of Open Z-Wave. Uh, so that service doesn't do anything, and a lot of people have been, you know, hitting that, you know, call service on that update config for a time, and you know, thinking that it's doing something, but it hasn't been doing anything. So as of this release, uh, just to remove all confusion, the zwave.update underscore config service has been removed. So if you're wondering where it's gone, it's gone for a reason, and it's because it wasn't doing anything in be- to begin with. And finally, for this release, uh, it's a little noteworthy update for you. HomeKit users, uh, CO2 sensors are now supported for Home Assistant. So if you're into that, you know, whole safety and wanting your house to react, if there's an alarm or an alert about something, CO2 sensors are now supported. Very cool. All right, Cliff, this is uh, where we start talking about you. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Cool. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm an engineer. I'm a lecture engineer by, by training. Um I kind of did that for a couple of years. So I got a bit of electronic experience, but I was always kind of a software guy. So uh, I spent probably most of my professional life in the software business. I uh, I wrote a bunch of software in in the good old days. Um, did a bunch of internet stuff, um, okay. and then I joined Microsoft about oh, wow. 18 years ago. Um, and I spent a bunch of time in Microsoft in various different roles, um, but but always kind of in the dev space. Um, and um, yeah, recently I, I left to start uh, to start a software startup. So I guess uh, kind of finishing the, the software the software life cycle. And it's kind of uh, yeah, it's interesting being on the, uh, mm-hmm. on the on the startup side, kind of having to build software from scratch. But I guess much like the Home Assistant story, um, there's there's so much good stuff out there these days that if 
you've got an idea, um, you know, software is really the, your imagination is, is 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 the only limit. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my story. That's that's that, that's who I am. Um, that's very cool. Yeah, and the, and and the home automation thing, I guess, has kind of always been something that that, that I've been passionate about. I guess. Uh, it kind of it, it, it's so interesting because it combines that that world of software and hardware. You kind of need things and you need sensors and you need controllers, and then you need yeah. the smart stuff to kind of take all that data and do something with it. So, yeah, <laughs> when I uh, when 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 I was young and I had much more time on my hands before I had kids, <laughs> um, I, uh, I I looked around at sort of the year two thousands that that type of era. And there really wasn't too much going on. I mean, it was kind of before X10 was really big. And uh, so I ended up building a bunch of stuff myself. I ended up building a little circuit board and I, you know, soldered relays onto it and connected it to a Wi-Fi device and uh, controlled my irrigation. And I was super <laughs> oh, proud no. of that until the lightning came oh, along no. and, uh, and took it out. So we're, uh, we're unfortunately... <laughs> and then you realize how... how, how yeah. uh, this custom stuff is just a pain, right? I mean, when you when you're doing everything oh, yourself, it's like it, when yeah, it breaks. It's a. And so I never really recovered from that. Uh, no, it's not like you can go out to a store and just rep- buy another one and set it up. Yeah, yeah. You, you also learned the importance of uh, lightning arresters <laughs> and and or grounding. It. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on, but uh, yeah, down here on the southern end of Africa, we get some pretty vicious lightning storms. So, yeah, we do our best, but but sometimes, I mean, you know, we go through we go through routers and mm-hmm. and, and modems that, oh, when we used to do copper before we had fiber. You know, it was wasn't uncommon to burn one or two a year on them. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, so then then I guess X10 came around, and um, I, I kind of played with X10 for a couple of couple of years, and <laughs> yeah. you very quickly kind of get the limitations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't get any feedback; it's kind of fire and forget, right? <laughs> you assume the light is on, or you assume <laughs> exactly. So I think we've all kind of been down that road, but it was mm-hmm. great to be able to actually have something that was probably, I guess, a bit more off the shelf, and and that's actually where I discovered Home Assistant. Like I was kind of. I was like, I need something to to pull all this stuff together because I sort of wrote a very crude web page to control it at the beginning, and then I discovered Home Assistant. I was like, wow, this is this is great. This is uh, these are these are my people. <laughs> did you try anything before Home Assistant? I didn't actually. I, I did a bunch of research, and I, I kind of I, I read the forums, and, yeah. I, and I really like kind of mm. the open source community side of Home Assistant, which was drew, drew me there, right? It's it, it's really nice to see when you have a huge active community and, and and the community seemed really really good at supporting each other and that's honestly why I chose it I I I'd never I never did any of the other ones um, I've just kind of always bet on Home Assistant and I've you know never looked back it's been it, it's been fantastic that's awesome so do you do you use any of those X10 devices still just out of curiosity. <laughs> You know, I actually do. So, so I, awesome. I, I guess I'm, ve- I'm, I'm very fortunate and in, in, in have a small weekend house. Um, so, so, uh, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I played on the extend stuff on my small weekend house, and so I, I've left that 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 stuff there. So it actually still is running. I I still use the extend add-in for for has to to do it, and I've just, I guess I just never ripped out all of those devices. Actually, the the, the primary reason is I haven't found a really great uh, sort of controller a dimmer. And the, the, I had a whole bunch of dimmers that that I had that ran off X10, and and they worked really well. I bought nice big ones, um, yeah. so so I haven't found a a really good price dimmer. Uh, I know that I've looked at the two year stuff. I could probably go there sometime, but um, 
But yeah, that's that's kind of why I've left it. And yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Maybe. Yeah, spot on, spot on. Yeah. And and, yeah. and I guess as we all know, right? Once once it becomes production ready in the house, <laughs> you kind of need uh, don't change you, it. You need license from the family <laughs> to change it, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and then recently I uh, I, I renovated um, I renovated my house. Um, we did a pretty extensive renovation, and so I, I kind of took the opportunity to to in quotes do it right. Right, I uh, I think I drove my electrician who was working in the house absolutely mad because we kind of made the decision that we'd make every single light switch in the house uh, a Sonoff device. Oh wow! And uh, we did the ubiquity thing and pulled ubiquity cables through the house, so we have. Four or five ubiquity endpoints float dotted around the house, just so our Wi-Fi coverage is is, is great. Wow! And um, yeah, it turned out really well. I just uh, I I have probably about fifty or sixty light switches that are all um, you know sort of basic devices that I just uh, wired up and, and and have on the on Tasmoda. Yep. And that all feeds into into Home Assistant. And um, yeah, I think my wife was a little skeptical at the beginning. Went, what the, what is he actually trying to do yeah. with this? And um, it turned out really well. I mean, it's 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 amazing to see. I guess one of the things that that, that I that I learned was, you know, it, it's okay to do one or two lights, and it's kind of interesting, and you, and you, you kind of it, it's fun. But you get really frustrated when you actually want to go to bed and you can't turn off that kitchen <laughs> light because you haven't wired it in, right? <laughs> yep. So so I decided, okay, let's just do everything. Let let's just make sure that we can do everything. And and I guess when you renovate, it's kind of that opportunity to do it properly. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it turned out really well. Un- until until you're done renovating and you're like, you know, you start using it for a few weeks and you're like, man, I really wish I did that. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> oh, there's always that. There's absolutely always that. Yeah. But 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 but, but again, it's 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 one of the beauties of of kind of where the tech is going and 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 having Wi-Fi devices that you can drop in and you don't have to have to cable up. So as long as you got power on these days, even battery these days. Yeah. You know, you can actually you can actually learn and as you go along. Um, yeah, so I, I, one of the big things for me uh, in, in doing the whole house was I made this I made this decision to to put a 32 inch touchscreen in the kitchen, and so I'm running wow. my Lovelace interface on a on a on a reasonably large device because I first tried it on an iPad that I stuck to the wall, but I guess it wasn't as interactive as I wanted it to be. You know, I, I besides all the light switches, I kind of collected a bunch of weather data and I you know, built a little weather station and. I widened the irrigation system and and all of that stuff, and I found that the the smaller devices were were like a little pokey, and so I tried it. I tried. A, I found a really nice device that that's sort of a 32 inch screen that's got an embedded Android operating system on it. Wow. Plus an HDMI input, so it's kind of like a TV. Yeah. With uh, with, with that runs Android, wow. so you can flip between the two. And, and it's all touchscreen. And it's a touchscreen. Yeah, so it uses one of those infrared touch bezels. But it's it's basic. I, yeah. So really, the only thing I run on that Chrome OS is is um, on yeah on, on that Android OS is Chrome, and and the only thing I run on that on that Chrome is is, is Home Assistant. So Lovelace renders beautifully on it, and and you it's 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 really interesting to kind of see the interaction of the family with it. Right, people will get up in the morning, walk to it. I kind of pull. I pulled the weather data. I was inspired by some of your previous uh, guests on uh, pulling the weather data into the UI. So I, mm. I found a really nice weather too. It was mm. like I use Meteor Blue, um, California-based, and and they just give great, uh, accurate weather data for us down here. Um, nice. And and if you if you ask them nicely, they'll give you a free API key for home use. And 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 I so I just have a very small automation that pulls the image down and then pops it into the Lovelace interface. 
and and then I, and then you kind of have the absolute the, the real weather based on on temperature sensors outside and and it's amazing to see how people interact with it so uh yeah, that's that. That's been really big. I, I've really enjoyed that, and it's it's nice to see people use it, or, that's, or everybody, the family use it in the house. That's cool. So, how, so how is that kind of? So, so this is interesting because I've I've I don't think we've ever talked to anybody. Like we've talked to people with panels and things like that, right? But how is having a just a large screen, right? Well, I mean, for for specifically for home assistant, it's very large screen. Um, how, yeah, thirty two inches. That, like that's yeah, a TV. That, that, yeah, that is a TV. Yeah. <laughs> right, isn't it? yeah. Yeah. So so how? How many columns is your Lovelace UI like? Um, so, so it's 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 1920 by 1080, so it's it's 1080p um, resolution. Um, but then, of course, you can scale yeah. it a little bit if you want. So, right. Um, yeah, I can fit, and, and it's, it's actually a great question because it, it, I can fit a whole bunch on one page now, which is really nice. So you kind of get this. Uh, my overview page has a ton of information. It has. You know, it ha- it has all the ubiquity cameras. I have two ubiquity cameras in the house feeding in, and I have a live view of that. I have the weather data. I have oh, wow. a bunch of uh, a bunch of lights, and then I have uh, we we've sort of through trial and error developed a whole bunch of of automations mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> that have kind of been useful. So uh, yeah, there uh, we got we got some buttons uh, on there to to fire automations, so that, that we really don't flip around too much. Uh, the the resolution is enough to almost run almost everything on on a single page, which is fantastic, right? It's it's just one panel. That's awesome. Almost. So have you have you um, so with like the way you interact with it today? Um, so like because you said it's in your kitchen as well. So I'm guessing you know like let's say for example, uh, I think you mentioned you had kids. So like they come downstairs or whatever, yep. they go to the kitchen for let's say breakfast, whatever. And, and do they did they interact with it? Do they, you know, do they, is there any specific yeah. stuff for them that you're doing or or yeah yeah? So so I guess one of the other big ones for us was um, you know we have a home alarm system mm-hmm. and and we kind of have uh, uh, an inside alarm and an outside alarm. So we have one or two beams outside in the garden. So the, so the kids, you know, we were always tripping the alarm, right? The kids would run outside and yeah. trip the alarm. And so um, now I have the I have the Lovelace uh, alarm uh, control sitting right there on that front page, and they've learned very quickly that you know, they can look at the screen, see if the alarm's on, hit the button, <laughs> and turn the alarm off, and it's 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 made such a massive difference. That's right? cool. So uh, that's that's probably one of their biggest ones. Um, yeah, and, and then I guess the one my my wife loves the most is. Uh, we have an automation. We call it the kids call button. So uh, we uh, we don't we don't we don't have a Google Home or any or any audio devices in any of the kids' rooms. But um, you know we were always yelling at them to come down for dinner, and, <laughs> and I got tired of yelling. At them. I thought, well, you know, we've automated the lights. So uh, how about I put a button on the screen, and what automate it does the kids. is it, it flashes the lights in the kids' rooms oh, four funny. or five times. <laughs> it works like such a charm, right? You hit that button. And about five seconds later, the kids arrive in the kitchen. So it, <laughs> and my wife absolutely <laughs> loves that. That's so funny. <laughs> that's uh, that's actually pretty great. Um, but, but, yeah, yeah. But, but that, that's an interesting way, right? Because most people, a lot of people that I've talked to at least, they'll just stick another Amazon Echo or Google Home or something like that and then just do like an announce or, or something like that, right? Yeah. So this is, this is great. Yeah. It's a good effective way of keeping them... You know, you might not necessarily want your kids around that, depending on how old they are or whatever. Uh, yeah. Right. And then uh, and it's, it's a great way of doing it, right? You got you, you can always fall back to analog whenever whenever you know you don't want digital. Exactly. Well, the other thing was I, I thought about the audio one, but but my daughter loves sitting on her iPad with the earphones, so of course. I could announce all I want, and she wouldn't hear a thing. Yeah. Like, 
Whereas the lights yeah, are like, yeah. you can't ignore it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. If you have headphones on, if you've got whatever, it's 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 uh, <laughs> definitely definitely in your face. Yeah. Uh, I, Absolutely. I guess, I guess unless it's super bright out, like in the room or whatever, like if, if they, yeah. they've got that and... You know, then you may you may not see it, but uh, yeah, it but that's uh, it works majority of the time. That's that's super cool. Um, the other one that's kind of interesting is uh, I was uh, we, you know, we were talking about presents previously, and 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 I was kind of trying to mess with presents to see we, we have a we have a gate getting into the house. We have one of those automated gates that slide open. And I was mm-hmm. yeah, I was always faffing with uh, seeing if my phone gets onto the home Wi-Fi. And if I'm on the home Wi-Fi and I was away, so I was kind of using presence to figure out, should I open right. the gate? But, I mean, you know, first of all, it takes a little while for the device to get on Wi-Fi, even though it's in range. So, it was, it was really frustrating. Yeah. Yep. So, then I, then, I discovered, uh, then I discovered webhooks. And I, I, I thought, well, that's interesting because now you don't have to be on the home network to, to kind of find stuff mm-hmm. externally. So, I, I, I built a little, uh, I built a, actually, I built a separate uh, Raspberry Pi based uh, home assistant. So, my, my home has two. I have a one that's external facing, exposing webhooks. And really, that's all it does. It's just a really simple webhook to MQTT bridge, if you want, if you want to think about okay. it like that. Mm. And uh, I, I kind of sat behind Frank's great work that he did with, uh, with all the firewall stuff. So, I'm, I'm using Nginx as, as a firewall to just proxy all okay. the stuff back yeah. in. And and now you can kind of drive down the driveway or, or kind of be wherever you are. As long as you've got an internet connection, you can either you can hit a button on the on the phone, or I, I found people doing some really cool work on most of the smartwatches that will just fire a, a web request. So I just hit uh, hit a button on my on my watch typically, and and, and and the front gate opens. And so that's that's really turned out very nice. That's that, that's yeah, that's pretty that's neat. Little neat. That's very cool. Yeah. Did you have that set up for everyone in the house or just yourself? Just myself and my wife. Right. So um, I kind of guard those webhooks yep. quite carefully. Um, not the kids actually, because you know they're not they're not they're not old enough to drive. Yeah. Yet, so so they they don't really I don't really want them opening and closing the gate. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I guess that's that that's one thing that's probably lots of us are waiting for is the the day we can kind of have. Uh, have customized Lovelace interfaces would be really great, right? You, you kind of see that use case building more and more as you, as you start integrating it deeper and deeper into the home. But Yeah, like you can have a, an interface based on who's home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you deal with, uh, and, and I know this is one of Phil's bigger gripes, is when your internet goes out, um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with that when it comes to, um, like, how, like opening the gate, for example? So like uh, if you're not connected to your yeah. network and... You're firing yeah. off your uh, something from your phone yeah. or from your watch or whatever. Um, again, that does traverse the internet and then come back in. Um, and if your internet's mm-hmm. down at home, have you or have you had that situation or or what's the what's the how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, yeah. have a fallback. I guess it's a great it's a great question. Um, I, I mean, knock on wood, I've our, our internet's really reliable. We've just uh, uh, you know we, we're going through a massive fiber rollout in the country, nice. so. Lots of our fibers are brand brand new, and it's uh, it, it's pretty well managed. So actually, I've I've never had an outage, which is wow. Which Your is provider should talk to Phil. Eighteen months. He's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> talk to my government, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, just just before we got fiber, we, we were we were in exactly the same boat. Yeah. But um, I, I did actually I did think about it, and I did I, I do actually have a <laughs> I see they're deprecated now, but I do have a Linksys router um, that, that that has a cellular connection okay. on. So my my my, my plan was. To, to run it just see how well it works and and if it did become a problem to kind of have a fallback to a to, to a cellular based router um 
and then I was kind of I was messing with how I could actually figure that out from from Home Assistant and then provide just the just the webhook ac access to the to, to the router. Um, but then we do we do still have you know the old analog uh, remote control button in the car that we kind of keep. Okay, on. okay, so there's still so yeah. You don't. Yeah, yeah, and and, ugh, and and I put a little keypad at the gate as well. So if you really do need to get in, perfect. You okay. Get in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and 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 I kind of did the same thing with the garage doors and kind of have a have a sign of device sitting in the garage doors. And you open the garage, open the front. Gate. Right, right, right. But but it's a great it's a great question. It crossed my mind often. It's like we now have a massive dependency on this thing on the sure. internet, and, and and I think you guys were discussing it in a previous yeah. episode to see how much stuff breaks <laughs> when when there's not an internet connection, even though you think lots of the stuff is is in the closed in the local yeah. loop. And it is surprising when you when you when you do. I actually tested it. I turned I turned off the reader to see, and <laughs> it's pretty spectacular <laughs> what happens when you don't have an internet. It is. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the, ne the next <laughs> few episodes are going to be dedicated to me making fun of Phil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with those internet outage woes and 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 my mine lately has not been you, mine's actually for the last like four years has been super stable and then after phil started having his issues and complaining about it and naturally me making fun of him for it uh karma, karma kind of caught up with me <laughs> and i've been like maybe, maybe maybe once a week i'll have an outage for like two hours or something like that and it's like oh no oh man and it's always when i want to watch tv or when i want to do something and yeah. it's just yeah, so it's uh, yeah, <laughs> always. It's car karma at its finest. <laughs> oh my goodness! Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think just just some other comments. I I think the the, the Lovelace change has just been huge for us, right? I mean, for the the ability to produce such a nice looking UI, um, and you know, I I, I, I can get a bit UXy. So so I built a I built my own custom theme just to kind of play with the colors that I liked, and uh, I mean, it's incredible to see what 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 the team is doing around that and and just the community right i mean the some of the custom cards you can get i'm using a lot of the custom custom graphing cards i'm using yeah. the custom media player card it it, it really it, it allows you to produce a, a front end that that doesn't just work but actually looks really good and i think being in software you realize that a lot of usability is just also the ease of use and totally. how well it works so it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's funny when I when I started using uh, Lovelace and I was just like, you know, okay, there's all this stuff you can do, and I was like, ah, oh, I don't care, I'm not using it, whatever, because like, I, I use voice primarily. Yeah. And then I don't know, like a few months ago, I was just like, all right, you know what, let's let's play with this, let's let's organize things because it, it was getting kind of messy, it was getting out of hand, and I was like, whenever I did need to override anything, either from my phone or through the laptop, it's like scroll 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 oh i missed it scroll back right and it's yeah and it just gets really annoying yeah. and so i was like okay i'm gonna choose and i actually had a lot of fun with it there's so many really cool cards out there there's so many uh really cool custom yeah. components that people are doing and, and a lot of times custom components are hey they're working towards having it in home assistant they're just not there yet or yeah uh, you know and then yeah. stuff does yeah. break with custom components um i'm not saying it doesn't sure. but you know it, it's still great to see what people are doing right and at least there's they've got the capability to have it there, right? Like, as opposed mm -hmm. to just mm -hmm. being stuck with the the standard stuff. You know, everyone has the ability totally. to go in and create their own thing. Totally. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. So, so what kind of stuff? Uh, what kind of stuff are you uh, are you using? So, I know you mentioned Tasmoda. You mentioned uh, how you have your connected gate uh, and stuff. So, what else? What else are you doing in the house? You said cameras. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I guess my home assistant. Uh, I also grew out of. Uh, out of the Raspberry Pi and, and into a Docker okay. set of Docker images. So I actually re repurposed an old Mac mini that I had um, 
put a solid state disk in it and then uh, I'm running Ubuntu on it um, yeah. with Docker. And that's fantastic. Um, I use Portainer mm-hmm. to, to, to manage the Docker images. And actually, one of the nicest things about it is there's a button on the on, on Portainer that that's that says recreate. They should probably rename <laughs> it. But that that actually, if you if you hit that button, it doesn't only recreate; it'll pull the latest yeah. version. So that's my right. up, my my upgrade protocol. You just really hit the button and you upgrade. So that that that, that is fantastic. Um, and it's super stable and and it runs really quick. I mean, I guess we've all been through the round of editing of uh, rebooting because yep. of a YAML change and. I think you 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 kind of very pleasantly surprised when you move from the from the Raspberry Pi to a Oh, how fast it is! Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then I, I pretty much standardized on Sonoff devices just because of the price and the uh, you know they're they're relatively available here. They're cheap, um, so I have hundreds. Well, not hundreds, probably close to a hundred of them all over. Um, and um, for for non Sonoff devices, I I mostly use Tasmoda, but I've been using ESP Home okay. a fair amount now. Um, I think Otto is doing a really nice job with ESP Home. I guess um, seems to be you know f- for specific devices. So I I built a I built a controller for for my home irrigation system again, kind of a revival of my previous project, and and I just used a a, a D1 Mini and and ESP Home YAML mm-hmm. to to run that. Just a bunch of ready MQTT endpoints, so the brains is kind of sitting inside in, inside Home Assistant to control that, and it's incredible to see how simple it actually is, right? I mean, with a with an ESP Home and uh, and an ESP8266 device, you can you can control almost yeah. anything. Yeah, it, it's kind of your your mind is uh, where the barrier is, right? <laughs> Whatever you can think of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I I I have a bunch of temperature devices, I guess, like we all do. Um, so I just again I just wired because I have a because I have a sign off device in every light switch, pretty much. I pretty basically got a a target for a temperature sensor. So some of the light switches I just I just wired uh, you know the DS eighteen twenty Bs, the the little Dallas the one wire devices. And I hang a little temperature sensor at the bottom of the light switch in most rooms, so it doubles up as a light switch and a temperature sensor. And and it's kind of neat because it has power, so I don't have to worry about batteries right. or anything like that. And so I get temperature in in most of the rooms just through through using uh, using Tasmodo and the and and the Sonoff devices. And yeah, and then um, on on the camera side, I I really like the ubiquity stuff. Um, it it works really well. Um, I know it's a little mm-hmm. more pricey than some of it, but you know, I have several outdoor cameras. So I, in, indoor, I have some, I have some of the the cheaper devices. But outdoor, I use the ubiquity devices, and uh, the integration to home assistants is superb. I guess as you would expect, <laughs> knowing where Palace is. But um, yeah, the they, they server works really well, and the, and, the, and the feeds are beautiful in, in, into the Lovelace interface. So our, our main interface has all the camera feeds feeding. Into That's cool, and and I guess on your screen it would show up really nice too, right? In the kitchen, it's it's. Just because it's it's a large screen, so yeah, are, exactly. So, are you leveraging the live views so it's it's actually streaming? Yeah, I am actually. I am, and and that was a nice change. Um, so I actually have in the in on the main kitchen device. I actually okay. don't. I um I I let it update it at sort of ten second or wherever it, it it fires at. But I have another smaller tablet sitting at the front door that has a camera over the driveway, and that 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 the live view was really grateful because you know when somebody's pulling in with a car. You kind of want to take a look and see where the car actually is, and it's frustrating if it only updates every mm. five seconds. So, so yeah. I, I kind of have two devices. Um, so that that works really well. It was it was yeah, a really yeah. change there. So, do you have any concerns with the amount of Sonoff devices you're running in terms of you know the quality of 
Sonoff devices. I know they're, they're sort of seen as a a cheap, you know, controller that may not necessarily have as good as, you know, like in terms of fire rating and, you know, sparking and all that. Yeah. Have you had any concern? Like, yeah. did you have any problems with getting, you know, an electrician to install them? Do they have any worries about that? Yeah, actually, I mean, yeah, so I bought, I probably bought 60 or 70 of them. So I've, I've wow. gone and I've got V1s, V2s and V3s. <laughs> you committed very hard. Yeah. Um, I, I lost in the installation, I lost probably about five or 10 that just malfunctioned or, you know, you also got to, uh, electricians tend to be a little bit more brutal with the, with the devices mm-hmm. than, than, than normal yeah. people would. Um, I, I, I walked in one day and the guy was connecting them live. So he didn't. Oh, that's safe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I don't think they like that very much, when because of course it's 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 arcing a little bit as it's turning on. So I think it was a combination of of, of some some devices, but also probably the way he was installing them. But no, in general, I've been very happy with them. I I haven't once once I kind of fixed some of the the ones that were a little unstable. I lost maybe one or yeah. two kind of after I went live, and you can just see the Wi-Fi stack was probably a little dodgy, right? And and again, the point you make, Phil, I think some of the soldering is not always the best, and but for the price you pay for them, I was like, if I if I have a two, three, four percent failure rate, it's still yeah. a, a lot cheaper than you know buying buying other devices. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, I I have used some of the Shelly devices, um, which I know have a better have have a better fire rating, and I think they're you know they're competing quite heavily. So if you look at where, where the Shelly devices are going, they've they've just received a better fire rating and they they have better plastics. But I guess you need a you need to take a you need to take a point in time. So like uh, I, again, uh, once they're once they're live and they're running, I, I, I've actually been pretty happy with them. I haven't I haven't lost them. So um, the the electrician seemed pretty happy with it. I mean, I was I was pretty uh, I was pretty yeah, dead yeah. on him doing the installation. So that of course we get a we get a, we get a sign off after the renovation was done. Um, but he didn't have a big issue with them. Um, I, I think his biggest issue was how small the little screws were to get the, <laughs> get, the, get the copper wires in. <laughs> It's why do you make the hole so small? You know, <laughs> the size of the copper wire yeah, yeah, yeah. and the light switch, and it's like minute. But um, but yeah, it's actually I'm pleasantly surprised. I guess knock on wood, right? Um, uh, we it's it's probably a year in, so we're we're heading for a year in, and okay. and they've been pretty good actually. So if they're all Wi-Fi based, have you got them on their own Wi-Fi network that's you know separate from your computers and your local? Network have you segregated them that way? Yeah, that's, that's again great question. Um, I didn't actually. I, I just hung them off all, all the same network, and and um, I've been meaning to. I, I, so I would say if I had to do it again, I probably would mm-hmm. create an IoT style network and and, mm-hmm. and bridge between the two. And the ubiquity stuff is really good at allowing you to do that. So uh, I guess I, I you know again it, it ain't broken, and I'm not fixing it right yeah. now. Um, I think with the number of of Wi-Fi access points that I have hanging around the house, I have no issue with uh, you know with with devices falling off the network. You know, so I, it's it's not a it's not a connectivity issue. Uh, it's not a physical Wi-Fi issue. Sure. It's just probably a security concern, if if anything. I'm you know I, I run I I run a I, I use the Ubiquiti firewall stuff as well. So it's it's yeah I have a reasonable amount of trust and I. I don't expose too much stuff in my house out to the internet, but of course, you, know, you never know. But I don't use any any cloud-based uh, stuff on the IoT network. Everything runs local. So I guess my ex- 
potential exposure external because you're running Tasmodo, you're not running any of the, the stock firmware. Uh, it's probably a little bit less, but yeah, it, it, it is absolutely a consideration. I think if, if if I had the time, I'd probably I'd probably slice off an IoT network and just mm-hmm. just allow MQTT and and maybe some of the HTTP protocols to 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 filter between the networks. I just hope you never have to change Wi-Fi password because that's going to be a pain in yeah. the bum to have to walk oh, around yeah. and update every single one to a new Wi-Fi network. Well, well, I, I have a story on that. So, so I actually uh, I had a, a discussion with the Tesmoto guys when I when I was doing this because I I, I pre uh, I pre-configured all the devices before they put them in. So I had about fifty or sixty devices that I pre-configured each with their own address, their name, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and and then the, the electrician installed them and Tesmoto. Let, unbeknownst to me, has this feature that if you cycle the power right. three or four times in quick succession, it resets the device. Yep. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so I walked into the house one day and I had fifty Wi-Fi oh. access points firing on my phone. <laughs> I was like, "Oh god, Oops. this is going to be fun." <laughs> I actually, uh, yeah, I actually forked the, I forked his motor and I, uh, I, I hard coded my Wi-Fi <laughs> credentials into the firmware. And I burnt that in. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be even a bigger problem for me if I have to change my yes. well, I, I guess because with Tasmoto, you can do OTA updates, right? So maybe, maybe it's re, just recompile and just push, can, push, yeah. push. Yeah. Look, and, and, and it's backlog command. Once it's on yeah. the network, it's really nice to configure because uh, you can you, you can backlog it. But uh, that, was, yeah, that, I bet. Was really, that was not a good day. <laughs> I, actually, I, I gave my son some pocket money. I said to him, listen, if you walk around the house with my phone and you get all these devices <laughs> back on the network, I'm, I'm going to give you a bunch of pocket money. That's perfect. You outsourced it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And maybe one last thing to talk about. Oh, one more thing to talk about is it was so coincidental that uh, that you guys were talking about beer in your previous episode yeah. because uh, we, <laughs> my son and I just recently decided to take to, to take a crack at uh, brewing our first our first batch of beer. We're definitely not as sophisticated as your previous speaker, but um, yeah, we we kind of said well. We we went through the whole process and we realized we needed something to to maintain the temperature of the beer while it was fermenting. And of course, you know, I thought yeah, yeah. it was a perfect use for home assistant, right? Why not, so right? We hooked up, we hooked up a little uh, we hooked up a little uh, controller that that just had a very simple lamp uh, in 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 the cupboard where it was fermenting for heat and uh, a temperature sensor. And so we we knocked up a little automation that as soon as the temperature dropped below a certain point, it turned the lamp on, and when it went above a certain point, it turned it off. And that was it. It worked like a charm, right? So uh, I, I can I can honestly say that my home assistant That's is awesome. controlling my beer brewing, which is fantastic. <laughs> That's funny. This, this is becoming a trend now. That's, That's I'm just I'm just waiting for the fork of uh, beer assistant. <laughs> yeah. And, uh... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm a long way away from uh, having a consumption-based uh, beer monitoring right. system. But awesome. Yeah. I, I guess. I guess in closing, it's it's it's. I just wanted to say it's 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 great to have such a an active community, bunch of interesting people, uh, people willing to share ideas, and I, I guess just encourage anybody who's thinking about it to to get involved um share your ideas it doesn't matter how silly they are or, or how bright you think you are it's uh it, it, if we start a dialogue i think we'll just make home assistant better and better agreed completely yeah totally agree well cliff thank you so much for taking the time out and and joining us today sharing your story i think you've sent us some photos of your lovelace setup in your kitchen and all that 
We'll leave them in the show notes. So if you want to take a look. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io. 